When people in modern society think about meditation, they almost exclusively associate it with some of the Eastern religions, such as the yoga school of Hinduism or with Buddhism. Of course, the Vedic scriptures from India do describe meditation and meditative practices. They describe things like yoga or what we would call yoga today. Buddha, of course, would have been heavily influenced by those writings, by those practices, and so would have incorporated that into Buddhism. That would certainly make sense. And this idea that meditation is from the Eastern religious schools has left some Christians to even question Whether meditation is biblical, if it's not mentioned in scriptures, if we're not instructed about it in the biblical scriptures, some folks have asked me, is meditation even biblical? Is it something that I should even consider doing? I find that a bit sad, actually, because meditation is, in fact, spoken about in the biblical scriptures, and we are, in fact, instructed to do it. And around the same time that these Vedic scriptures would have been written in India, produced, of course, by humans and by human wisdom, God was inspiring his followers and his prophets to write in holy inspired scriptures, what we today would call the Old Testament portion of the Bible. God was inspiring his prophets to also write about meditation. Let me give you a couple of those verses as we get started here. The book of Joshua comes right after the death of Moses So those who do not know the story, God had called a man named Abraham, said, I will make a great nation of people from you, from just you and and your son. I will make a nation of millions of people. And from those people will ultimately come the one that will bless the entire world. In other words, Jesus will be one of your descendants. Those individuals move from the promised land. They go into Egypt. There they're taken into captivity. 400 plus years, they serve as slaves to the Egyptian pharaohs. And then Moses is directed by God to lead them out of bondage. There's pluses and minuses. They get the Ten Commandments, but they rebel against God. They send scouts to look at the promised land that God has told them he's going to deliver to them, but they get nervous. They're not going to get it. God punishes them. They wander in the desert for 40 years. Ultimately, Moses does not go into the promised land, but dies before the people cross the river into the promised land. And a young man named Joshua is put in charge. And so the book of Joshua sort of picks up at that point as God's people who he has rescued from bondage are getting ready to cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. And in the very first part of this book of Joshua, God is telling this great leader, Joshua, a number of things. And we're just going to pick up in that first chapter of his book and look at verses 7 and 8. So Joshua 1, 7 and 8 say this, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. So when 
God is telling Joshua about this book of the law. He's speaking about those first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all that Joshua had in his possession were those first five books. And God is saying, meditate regularly on those five books and do not depart from them. Right in the middle of the Bible, there's the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. The Psalms were essentially the Hebrew hymn book or the Jewish song book, if you will. And they are, most of them are set to music. It'll say this is to be played with a flute or with a stringed instrument or whatever. The Psalms begin, Psalm 1, verse 1, begins this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now the Psalms end, the songbook, the hymn book ends, Psalm 150, hallelujah, praise to God. Praise him because he's awesome. Praise him because of the great things he's done. Praise him with a flute. Praise him with a lyre. Praise him with a drum. Praise him with cymbals. Everything should be praising God. So Psalm 150, I'm sorry, the book of Psalms builds to this massive point in Psalm 150. And in between, every human emotion is brought out. And everything that we could pray for, sing about, or lament over is included. But the Psalms start with meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. And right in the middle of the Psalm, Psalm 119, most folks, if you open your Bible and you just try to open it right dead in the middle, you will get to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has this language about meditating on God, meditating on God's law. It has it over and over. Examples are Psalm 119 verse 15, Psalm 119 99, but it goes on and on in that psalm. I should mention that this word that I'm saying meditate. So he told Joshua, the book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. In Psalm 1, we're told on his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditate means exactly the translation into English. Meditate is a perfect translation. It means exactly what you think meditate means. It it comes from the Hebrew word hagah, And that word would literally be translated to think seriously about, to study on, or to chew over something. That, that's, that word meditate. In fact, I've heard a story that there's a minister in London, England, who handed out sticks of chewing gum as people came in one Sunday morning to sort of focus their attention on the fact that he was speaking that day about meditating on God and meditating on God's word, which really just means to, again, think about it seriously, to study over it or to chew it over. And so he gave them chewing gum as a way to draw their attention to that. Here's what the Bible is saying. And essentially, here's what the Eastern religions are saying as well. Meditation works. Meditation is valuable. Meditation should be part of your regular routine primarily because it takes your focus off of yourself. And that's not always an easy thing for us to hear. And many of us don't think we're nearly as selfish or self-focused as others around us. 
the the primary value of meditation from a religious standpoint or a psychological mental health standpoint is to take the focus off of yourself and particularly to take the focus off of things that you have guilt or shame from in the past or things that you are worried or anxious about that are yet to occur in the future. Both of those things can be very bad for our mental health and for our spiritual state of being. The best practitioners of Eastern meditation always use the phrase with their new students that meditation is about zoning in on something, not zoning out. In other words, zoning out is trying to become numb, trying to run away from these negative, self-focused, anxious thoughts that you're having. Meditation is about zoning in, about putting your point of attention in a different direction, on a different thing than yourself. The difference in a true biblical meditation versus an Eastern type meditation is instead of focusing on something abstract in the now, instead of focusing on my breath, instead of focusing on the breeze that's blowing across my face as I sit on the back deck doing yoga, instead of focusing on something more abstract that's in the now and zoning in on what is happening now, I achieve the benefits of meditation, this improved mental and physical health benefits by focusing on the timelessness of God, by focusing on the beauty and the power of God's attributes, of God's character, and of God's word. So clearly, the idea of The practice of meditation is not unbiblical. In fact, it is not only biblical, many would say, well, it almost seems to be required of God followers. He told us, meditate on this day and night. In other words, God is just saying, think about me. Think about who I am. Think about what I have done in the grand cosmic scheme, created the heavens and earth. Think about what I've done in your life. Concentrate on what it means to forgive others. To lo- what is the law of God today? When we say meditate on God's law day and night, chew it over, study on it, focus in on it in the now and put my past and my future aside and zone in on what God is saying right now. When we talk about that law that we're to meditate on, it includes, of course, and would primarily be surrounded by New Testament scriptures. And so focus on a God that loves you enough to send his son for you. Focus on the idea that because we are forgiven, we now need to truly forgive others. Focus on how Christ tells us that we're to love others, etc. The Bible, of course, says do this day and night. In other words, make this a regular habit that every day, instead of every thought being about you or your boss, or your employees, or your children, or your spouse, intentionally focus thoughts on God, on God's timelessness, on the steadfastness of his character, on his perfect love and pure cleansing light, and focus on the scriptures that tell you, imitate what you saw in the life of Christ when he was incarnate on the earth. The Bible would understand, God would clearly understand better than even the wisest people writing the Vedic scriptures thousands of years ago that humans, every human, at times, 
needs to just calm our mind. And we need to soothe our anxieties by essentially not thinking about ourselves and not concentrating on or worrying about the future. The Bible understands that. The Bible's approach is meditate on God. Meditate on scriptures. Meditate on who God is calling you to be now. Not who you may have been in the past that you wish you could change or others have disapproved of and not worry about what's going to happen in the future. But who is God right now? Who is God calling you to be right now? Some of my friends who practice, again, the Eastern meditation and yoga say that they're trying to discover this inner light in themselves that connects them to all things in the universe. But I think that's a little bit of a self-defeating exercise because as we begin to focus and trying to find the inner light in ourselves, we bring the focus back to ourselves. And so again, I say focus on God, focus on his timelessness, focus on the fact that he is perfect light and that he is willing to share that light with you. Be thankful that God is sharing that light with you rather than trying to find that light within yourself. But I will add one final point that the best practitioners of Buddhist meditation have said to me is that meditation itself is something that's done only in short periods, over short time frames. That meditation, they say, is this practice. It's this over and over practice of training the mind to focus on the now, in the now, to zone in now. And cut the whole rest of the world out. But that mindfulness is what the behaviors in our life that flow from having trained ourselves such. So meditation is me sitting down, as I said, alone on the back deck and thinking about wind or crickets or whatever. And training my mind to focus in the now. Again, it's a practice. It's a routine. Training is a great word to train myself to be able to think in this way when I'm alone and undisturbed. That should lead to a life of mindfulness that carries itself out, that makes itself visible to others around me every day. And that is exactly what the biblical process of meditation is trying to get at as well. Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything you've got physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything you've got, love God. And that in turn, he said, the second greatest commandment is like it, follows from it and helps you fulfill the first one, which is love your neighbor as yourself. When you meditate on God's word, when you read the Bible and you stop and you read it again and you read it again and you think about who is the God that wrote this? What are the attributes? What is the timelessness and the perfection of the author that inspired these beautiful words? And you think about loving that God with everything that you have when you're in your quiet time, meditating on scripture and meditating on the attributes of your creator God, that will naturally then flow out 
So biblical meditation is loving God with all your heart and studying his word in a desperate attempt to understand him now instead of being confused and distracted by all the other things around you. And biblical mindfulness is loving your neighbor as yourself because as you've meditated on and studied and understood the light of God, that is what fills the universe, then you naturally are better able position, better position, better able to love your neighbor as yourself as you walk through in your daily life. So I would simply say this meditation is valuable because it has both mental health and physical health benefits. But here's what I would also say. In so many areas of our life, we cut God out. And if we cut God out of our society and the laws that we decide to make, if we cut God out of our families, they always fall short. If we cut God out of our marriages, they always fall short of what their ultimate potential could be. And if we cut God out of our meditation, though we will get benefits from focusing, zoning in on the now, focusing less on ourselves, We will not get the measure of the benefits that we will get if we leave God in our meditation and do meditation the way that it was originally prescribed to us in the Bible, which is to meditate on God and on God's word day and night. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.